All right. If you've been here the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Training for Righteousness. And this week we're going to be considering the discipline of the tongue. Like I said, Landon set me up on this one. But the last five weeks we've looked at purity, friendship, prayer, worship, integrity. And tonight we're looking at the tongue. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is the verse that we've kind of been looking at through this series. And it says this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you, that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope that on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. One of the books that we've been looking at as we have gone through this series is a book that we keep going back to is called Respectable Sins. By Jerry Bridges. And when Jerry Bridges was asked while he was writing this book from random different people, what are you writing about? He said, I'm writing a book about sins that Christians feel are acceptable. And he said, usually, inevitably, people would roll their eyes and they would usually say, oh, you mean like gossip. And... Yes, yes, I do mean like gossip and things like that. Because I think if, for the most part, if you're here tonight, if you are, uh, if you have a heartbeat, you probably uh, see that we're talking, you know, maybe some of you responded in the same way when you saw, oh, we're talking about the tongue. This is going to be great. And not only are we talking about the tongue, Corey's talking about the tongue. This is going to be even, yeah, it's going to be the best. So, uh, but I think, for most of us, if we were to really stop and think about sins that we would find acceptable, sins that we would find respectable, I think gossip might be high on the list. Um, now, it's not the only sin that's committed by the tongue. We see lots of others, things such as lying and critical speech. And let me just say, and this is one of the only times I will say this the whole night, Yes, this includes if it's true. You can speak critically about a person and if it's true, but if it tears them down, that is gossip. Okay, Even if it's true, even if it comes in the form of a prayer request, it can be guilty of this, okay? Harsh words, slander, sarcasm, insults, just about anything that comes out of our mouth might be considered uh, damaging to someone. So damaging that Kent Hughes says that those who misuse the tongue are guilty of spiritual arson. And I think as we think about training in godliness, I think it would be good for us to consider the quote of ungodliness that Jerry Bridges gives us, that we've mentioned several times through this series. It says, ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God, or God's will, or God's glory, or of one's dependence on God. 
you can readily see then that someone can lead a respectable life and still be ungodly in the sense that God is essentially irrelevant in his or her life. And as we are reminded about that, when we think about what we say, think about what we think, I would go so far as to say even the things that we text about, because I really do think our thumbs are an extension of our tongues. They kind of sound alike, actually. So um, even some of the things that we text about, it's all communication. It should be very healthy for building up the body of Christ, but I think oftentimes it tears down and it's good for nothing. And it would be very healthy for us to focus on what God's will is for our speech uh, and what would be honoring to His glory and how we can be dependent upon Him when we communicate with other people. You know, and when Landon and I, as I've said this a couple of times, but when we were talking about this series and we were prepping for this series and he gave me the list of what I was going to be speaking about for my six lessons. And I saw that this one was on my list. I will just admit I had an eye roll moment. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm getting that one. So I did have the eye roll moment. And it's been really good for me to, to prepare this for you this evening. So um, because if you do know me very well and you know my sense of humor... I can come across as gruff sometimes. I can be a bit of a kidder. I like sarcasm. I like to make people laugh. And although sometimes, for those who know me, you can make the comment, well, that's just Corey, right? Most of you have said that. I hope you're defending me in that moment. (laughs) You say things like, well, if he's not picking on you, he just doesn't like you, right? Some of y'all have been guilty of saying that. It's okay. But I will just say that when I saw this one on my list, I went out and bought me some steel toe boots in preparation. So as we kick off tonight, uh, I want us to really examine our words. I want us to really examine our thoughts and ask ourselves if the words that we speak are considering God's will, God's glory, and our dependence on Him. All things that we should think about as we think about our speech. But as we started every week, let's get started with where we should start. And let's talk, talk about the character of God. Number one, God spoke everything into existence. Our God is a God that communicates. He speaks. When you see that he speaks uh, in, the, in the first sentence of the Bible, he establishes everything that will happen afterwards. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. He speaks. And there is something out of nothing. Sometimes that's kind of hard to wrap our brains around. And it's one of those brain-exploding type moments. There was a, a joke back when I was just out of high school in 1996 when they were doing the whole cloning sheep thing. And there was a joke. Between a scientist and God. It's not a joke. I mean, this, it is a joke, but I'm just telling you. So there's a scientist, and he goes to God, and he says, All right, God, we have this cloning technology down to a fine art, and we think that we can create a human being better than you. And God goes, All right, cool, let's do it. 
So the scientist gets all of his stuff set up and he gets ready to, to create a man. Yeah, we've done sheep and lambs. We're going to do a man now. And so he gets a spoon out and he walks outside and he grabs a spoonful of dirt and he walks back in and God goes, nah, 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 nah. get your own dirt. Meaning, yes, even the dirt, God spoke and something became out of nothing. That is who our God is. He speaks and things happen. Uh, you know, I pondered that this last couple of weeks. Why didn't God just think it into existence? Why did he speak it into existence? Because he's a personal God. He's a relational God. He's a God that communicates, yes, in creation, but he's going to be a God that communicates with his people. And God would reveal himself to humanity through words. He would speak to humans. Over and over again through Genesis chapter 1. You can go back and read it. It says, and God said. And it was. He didn't need permission. He didn't need any help. He speaks and it happens. That's our God. Next, God is relational and communicates with his creatures. In Genesis chapter 3. God establishes his relationship with his creation. He speaks with them. He walks with them. Even after the fall, we see that God would continue to speak to his creation. In other places in scripture, he would communicate in different forms. He would sometimes talk from a burning bush and a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He would speak in many different ways throughout the Old Testament. And sometimes he would meet with people and speak to them as a friend, as we talked about a few weeks ago. God would continually speak to his people. And as we see, we'll see, God will go to great lengths to speak to his people and to reestablish a relationship with his creation. Next, God speaks through his word. Today, one of the greatest ways that God speaks to us is through our Bible. God's Word. It was given to men, and men wrote it down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's on the screen, says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God continues to speak to us today. Through his word. Through the Bible. Uh, It's not through a burning bush. It's through the Bible. It's through God's holy word. He continues to speak to those who would like to listen through his word. Because as the passage in 2 Peter that I put in your notes says, There was no prophecy that was ever produced by the will of man. None of them. It says, But men spoke from God as they, car- they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God's word is given to us from God. He speaks to us through his word. It's alive and sharper than any double-edged sword that has the ability, ability to cut us to the bone, to the core. God speaks to us through his word. But let's look at the nature of sin and where we come into play here. 
First of all, temptation came to us through words. You know, when you consider the fall of mankind and the temptation that came to Adam and Eve in the garden, it came to them through words. The serpent came to Adam and Eve, and knowing what God had commanded them, he twisted the very words of God. He enticed Adam and Eve with words, with communication. Did God really say? And the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden is the same, te- same temptation that we are faced with today. It may sound a little different. Maybe it comes along. Does the Bible really say that marriage is only between a man and a woman? Does the Bible really have anything to say about abortion? And you can insert any argument that you want to. Does the Bible really say? It happens all the time. That's what Satan wants, is for us to question what God has told us in his word. God communicates to us through his word. So Satan wants nothing more than for us to be tripped up by what God's word has to say. And we have been bombarded with those temptations left and right ever since. Most of which we probably don't even notice. Second Peter gives us a clue into what's going on. It says this. But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. I want you to key in on the words there. False teachers did come. But guess what? Just as there will be false teachers among you. You will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Even denying the master who brought them. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And check this out. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. It's the same destructive thing that happened all the way back in the garden. It's still what is happening to us today. He uses words to lure humans away from the truth about God. When we consider our devices, our screens that are in our pocket, the types of books that we read, the types of television shows that we watch, um, all sorts of media, social media platforms that we are part of, Satan will use whatever means he can to twist your mind into believing something else contrary to God's word. He will. And it will not be easy for us to notice. And in the same way that Adam and Eve were duped, we are as well. Okay, So be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? This next one, the tongue is a small member but boasts great things. I don't have to convince anyone in here how our mouths can get us into trouble. Uh, But we also need to remember the very important fact that as Matthew chapter 12 and as Luke chapter 6 show us, what comes out of our mouth is nothing more than an overflow of our hearts. Um, The average weight of a tongue, okay, 90 grams. 
little over three ounces. Such a small piece of flesh it is. And yet, what damage can be done by it? James chapter 3. This is the ultimate um, tongue chapter if you want to do some extra reading tonight. Um, says this, chapter 3 verse 6 says, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. This little three ounce piece of flesh in our mouth says it's a fire. It's a restless evil. You're welcome. So glad I'm here tonight, right? Kent Hughes says this. The world is populated by walking human caskets because countless lives have been dissolved and sucked Sucked empty by empty words, by another's words. You know, it's a sad reality. Um, it's not just the words that people say. It's also in what people listen to. Because Kent Hughes also goes on to say this. The heart that feeds on hearing evil reports is a tool of hell. It leaves flaming fires in its wake. Oh, the heartache that comes from the tongue. If you are listening to gossip, if you are listening to evil talk, Kent Hughes says it's a tool of hell. It only is damaging. It can only cause harm. And we shouldn't listen to it. You know, I had, uh, we went on, the very first time that I ever went to Kenya, about six days before we left, uh, I started having intense back pain. Terrible, terrible back pains. I went to the chiropractor, uh, had some x-rays done, nothing. Just so bad that I could barely walk. And I thought to myself, there is no way I'm going to be able to sit on a plane for 20 hours with this back pain. There's absolutely no way. I'm thinking, do I have to cancel my trip? All this other stuff. So I go to, to a doctor, a local doctor, and he goes, he tells me, what are your symptoms? What's going on? Da, 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 da. And he goes, well, let's do a, a urine test. Maybe you have a kidney stone. I never thought about that. Never had a kidney stone before. Oh, okay. So I'll go in and uh, give him a urine sample, bring it back to him. And he holds it up to the light and he goes, <laughs> here's your kidney stones. I had no clue, right? And here sits these two little small, microscopic by my measures, little pieces of whatever they are, right? Calcium or whatever it is. And he says this to me. Isn't it amazing that something so small can cause so much pain? <laughs> yes, but it's true. And the tongue is the exact same way. What a small thing it is, but what great pain it can cause to other people. Watch TV. Sit and watch people. You can visibly see the damage in our world that is caused by the words of someone else. And by something as small as a small three ounce piece of flesh. So that should make us feel all great and good. But there is good news. Let's look at the work of Jesus. 
Jesus is the promised son who proclaims the truth of God. Jesus came to proclaim the truth about the Father. Um, God had been speaking to his people through many different ways. Uh, through fire, through bushes and, and pillars of fire, pillars of cloud. He sent prophets to speak to his people. He sent judges to speak to his people. And then at the end of the Old Testament, God goes silent. Completely silent. He doesn't speak. And that's because the promised Son of God, the Messiah, was coming. And he had spoke to his people in different ways. But it's, Jesus was stepping onto the scene. And for what reason? To speak to his people. And what was his message? The exact same message that God had been saying to his people throughout the entire Old Testament. The promise given all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. The promise of the Messiah. The promise to Moses. The promise to God's people. What the Ten Commandments were all pointing us forward to. To Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would come into the world, God's Son. Because God is holy, man is sinful, and we need a Savior. So Jesus was sent into the world. And all these things pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Flip over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And in this, Jesus is going to be speaking... Uh, to his followers about the Father's plan. John chapter 12, starting in verse 44. It says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that, uh, that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority... But the Father who sent me has, give, has himself given me a command, a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say therefore, I say the Father has told me. Jesus came to proclaim the truth about God. Proclaim the truth of God. He came to accomplish the Father's will. Jesus came to speak the words that the Father had given to him, <clears throat> to speak to sinful human beings. He came to fulfill the plan that had promised for generations to come, to do the will of the Father. So what was the Father's plan? Next point. Jesus' mission was to die. But the Father spoke through Jesus the Son. <clears throat> That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus came to live the life that we were unable to live without sinning. He died the death that we deserved, taking our punishment upon himself. And he rose from the grave, from the grave on the third day, conquering death in the grave. That was the Father's plan. To reestablish people 
into a relationship with him. That whoever would put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, the Son, and the sacrifice that was made for us, we could be brought back into a right relationship with God the Father. As it says in John chapter 3, starting in verse 14, this is on the screen. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. His mission was to die. But God the Father spoke through Jesus the Son. As Hebrews tells us, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through the Son. Today, God doesn't need to send prophets. We have Jesus. We have the Son. So if some dude comes up and says, hey, I'm a prophet. No, I got Jesus. I don't, I don't need any of that stuff, right? So we have His Word God has sent us the Son. And praise be to God that Jesus has also sent us a helper. Let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can guide us into taming our tongue. Taming our tongue. I would be willing to bet that if you've been raised in church any time at all, or if you've been in church any time at all, odds are pretty high that you've heard E429, right? E429. It was probably one of the very first verses that I ever memorized as uh, a youth in student ministry because our youth minister's wife would always just go around and anytime anyone said anything remotely negative at all, E429, bark it. And so I was like, what is she talking about? And so I memorized Ephesians 429. Uh, some of you are like, well, it didn't stick very good, Courtney. We're working on it, okay? So, because I will say that it usually ended in an eye roll when she would bark it out like that. It was very annoying. If we, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fit for the occasion, that it may give grace to all who hear. The thing is, we're unable to do that, and we need help. And so God sends us a helper. That's why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit. John 16 says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And if you will look up the passage in James that I put in there for yourself, it answers the question, who can tame the tongue? This little three ounce piece of flesh in your mouth. Who can tame it? Here's what it says. No human being can tame the tongue. But thanks be to God that we have the Spirit of God as our helper and to guide us in that truth. Next, evidence of the Holy Spirit involves a thankful heart and a heart of praise. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. One of the indicators of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how He's at work in our lives is that we have a changed heart. 
God is doing something to us on the inside. Uh, as we always say, the old is gone and the new has come. And when Christ has done a work in our life and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, we have a changed heart. And here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. It says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we talked earlier about what comes out of our mouth and how it is nothing but an overflow of our heart. The things that come out of our mouth are nothing but an overflow of our heart. I used to be taught all the time, uh, what comes out of your mouth when you stub your toe in the middle of the night is usually what's on the inside of your heart, right? And so we'll just leave that at that. We won't go any further into that. But um, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit and we start seeing things differently than we used to. Continues to do that work in our life. It's a work. Addressing one another. And it says, and how do we respond? We address one another in psalms and hymns. And we make a melody with our heart. Giving thanks. Submitting to God. These are all things that we would do with the help of the Holy Spirit. We would have a thankful heart and a heart of praise. And again, I just said this, but I'll just say it again. This takes time. This takes effort. It's not something I'm saved and now I'm a joyful, happy person all the time and I never say anything negative. That's not how that works. We have to work at it. It's a growing process to become more and more like Jesus every single day. And what does that look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. When you look at Galatians chapter 5, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those things should be a part of our life. When we're walking with the Spirit. Lastly, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he leaves the disciples with hope about the Holy Spirit and how he would come and be a part of their lives. And now in Matthew, he ends with the command. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you really talk about that verse, it's like in your city, in your state, in your country, and around the world. That's what they're saying. You will be my witnesses. Before Jesus, okay? Before Jesus. God's people were called to be a witness to the nations that surrounded them. They were to look at the nation of God and say, they're different. What makes them different? And they were to point to what God had done in their life. They were to be an example to the nations. After Jesus, Jesus is sending his followers out to the nations. It says, and you will be my disciples. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's sending them out. And one of the defining marks of a follower of Christ and someone who has the Holy Spirit working in their life is that they don't look like the world. 
They don't talk like the world. They don't act like the world. One of the defining marks of the Holy Spirit's work in someone's life. They have a changed heart. They have a heart that wants to bring honor and glory to God. And when the world asks us, why should uh, we be willing to uh, listen to you? Why? We should be willing to give them a reason for the hope that we have. We are to be a witness for Jesus. That's what we are called to do. So what types of things do we need to consider uh, about taming the tongue? So I put training slash taming the tongue. Here we go. Uh, We need to realize that the words of our mouth are an overflow of our heart. I think this is one of the hardest realities for us to come to grips with. Uh, It's hard to control our hearts. It's just as difficult to control our thoughts. Um, Not long ago, uh, as I was continued to study on the tongue, I was having a conversation with one of my family members. And this family member has a little bit different uh, beliefs theologically. Uh, We believe in the same God, all this stuff. But we have a lot of the other stuff that we just disagree upon. So we try not to have those conversations. And they started in on a conversation. And y'all, I'm telling you, these verses popped into my head. I said, I'm going, I'm just going to. And so they said something to me. And I was like, well, there you go. And I was really proud of myself. I started patting myself on the back. I didn't say anything negative. I didn't make them mad with the conversation that I was having. And I ended the conversation. And, and that was that. And we, I let them talk to the kids. And it was great, right? Until the next morning, and I felt conviction. And I thought, no, this isn't right. Because I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything that I wasn't supposed to say. And the Lord convicted me about what was in my heart. Because the whole time I was having this conversation with him, I was like, you're such an idiot. (laughs) You should really read Scripture with a little broader sense. Uh, and, and then, of course, I'm just negatively just, why do you ask my opinion if you know I disagree with you and you're not going to listen to me? You just want to argue, right? And, and that's all the thoughts that are going through my brain. I didn't have the argument. I didn't get in a fight. I ended the conversation. I was really proud of myself until the next morning. And I just felt conviction about the thoughts that I were thinking. And I was like, are you kidding me? Lord, I I thought I did pretty good. I bit my tongue. Why do I feel like I failed? Because, as Psalm 19 tells us, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's not just the things that you say. It's the things that you think. It's the thing that's in your heart. And those are the things that we have to Develop, that we have to work on, that the Holy Spirit needs to convict us of. Yes, the words that we speak are an overflow of our heart. And we need to work on our hearts. Some of us need to work on keeping our mouth shut. That needs to be a good first step, right? But next, we need to be able to work on what's in our heart. Psalm 119, the Bible, the scripture that we're going through on Sunday morning says, help us to hide God's word in our hearts that we may not sin against God. Hide God's word in our heart that we may not sin against God. And I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in his sight. 
Next, we need to learn to control our tongue because we will give an account for every careless word we have spoken. Ultimately, we are accountable for every single careless word that we've ever spoken. That's ever come out of our mouth. Doesn't matter if you said you were sorry and they forgave you. We will give an account for every careless word that's come out of our mouth. We all um, have several. We have several passages that will point to this. Let's take a look. Uh, flip over to Matthew chapter twelve. Uh, this is a passage that is where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. We had a great Sunday school la- lesson this last week on that, but. Um, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. Um, They accuse Jesus of violating the Sabbath. They even go so far as to tell Jesus that he's in the same league as Satan himself. Uh, Talk about a time I would not have been able to bite my tongue. But it says this, Matthew chapter 12, starting in 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. He tells them, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you, are, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Every careless word that you speak. You know, there are a couple of phrases right there. Uh, By your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Justified there is talking about people's words and how those words will be evidence of what's going on inside of them. There is something that has changed on the inside, which is causing this change of the way I think, which is causing a change in the way that I speak. And likewise, evil people, their words will be evidence by which they are condemned. It doesn't take you long of listening to someone before you, can under, you really understand what type of a heart they have. Luke chapter 6 says the same. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart that his mouth speaks. What is on the inside will find its way out of your mouth from the abundance of the heart. And again, if you are a Christ follower, if you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I think one of the greatest things that we can do is spend time in God's Word every single day. Meditate on God's Word, read God's Word, hide God's Word in our heart that we may not sin against Him uh, because it changes how we think. It changes how we think about others, okay? And it changes the way we speak to others. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, Next, we need to encourage others by your words. This is obvious, right? We've been taught this from an early age. They say this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's baloney. Words hurt. Uh, And if you don't believe that, you've never been talked to before, right? Words hurt. 
Uh, and scripture shows that it's baloney. Um, your words have a power to tear people down. Your words have the power to build people up. Toby Mack, the great theologian Toby Mack, has a great song called Speak Life. He says this in his song, Speak Life. It says, lift your head a little higher. Spread the love like fire. Hope will fall like rain when you speak life with the words that you say. Raise your thoughts a little higher. Use your words to inspire. It says, joy will fall like rain when you speak life with the words that you say. I know that song's going to be stuck in y'all's head the rest of the night, and it's been stuck in my head all week, so you're welcome. Um, but it's true. When we spend time in God's Word, when we spend time meditating on God's Word, when we had God's Word in our heart, it changes our heart. We start thinking about things that are a little higher. We start speaking things about to people that are a little higher, a little better, and it builds people up rather than tear them down. It says, hope will fall like rain and joy will fall like rain when we speak life with the words that we say. And I think it's true. It's all biblical what he's talking about there. That's why he's a great theologian, right? Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We have the ability to speak either. You can speak life or you can speak death. They are both in the power of the tongue. And they can happen in an instant. And when those words go out of your mouth, you can't take them back. I wish you could rewind time and take things back all, um, stick your foot in your mouth. That's what that comes from. Sometimes we just need to bite our tongue. We have the ability to either speak life to someone or we have the ability to speak death. And for those of you who know the power of the tongue, it says you will eat uh, its fruit of wise and life-giving words. You know, uh, we read this part earlier. James chapter 3, and I've changed a few of the words for us tonight. It says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And, and, and I'm going to change the word it to our tongue. Verse 9, with our tongue we bless our Father, our Lord and Father, and with our tongue we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Says, my brothers, these things ought not be so. And if you belong to Jesus, we ought not sit here and sing praises to God in heaven and walk out those doors and talk mess about our neighbor. And I don't care if that person uh, is mean to you or not. The Bible doesn't give you permission if they're mean to you. It doesn't. We're supposed to speak life. Remember, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And if you belong to Christ, it should change the way you talk. James 1 reminds us, if anyone thinks that, his, that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If you say, man, I know Jesus, and you can't control your tongue, it says your religion is worthless. If you cannot control your tongue, who will want to listen to you about anything you have to say about Jesus Christ? 
which leads to our last point. We are called to share the gospel. Share uh, the gospel with our words. I think I put an extra word in there. We are called to share the gospel with our words. You've probably heard someone tell you at some time in your life, you are the only Bible that people may read. Or maybe, uh, I was told this one time at a youth camp, said, share the gospel and if possible, use words. (laughs) And while I do think Uh, The premise behind those two statements has a little value, meaning I understand where they are coming from uh, or where they might be going. I just want to say that it's wrong. It's totally wrong. Um, I do hope that my actions will point people to Jesus. I do hope that when I'm kind and when I speak life to someone, it could point people to Jesus. Amen if that happens. But... We are called to proclaim to people the good news of Jesus Christ. The greatest life that you can ever speak to anyone is the truth about what Jesus has done for you. The truth about the gospel. To share your faith with someone. That's the greatest truth you can ever share with someone. Romans 10 says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Pastors are not the only ones who are called to preach. Everyone is called to go and make disciples. You are called to go and make disciples. You are called to proclaim the gospel. And yes, uh, as you are sharing the gospel, I would say this. Always use words. Use words. Share the gospel truth about what Jesus came to do in your life, the truth that there is a holy God. We chose to believe a lie. We are sinful and we are separated from that holy God. And that Jesus came, lived the life that we couldn't, died the death that we deserved so that we could be made into a right relationship with God. People need to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you share that with people, use words. Let's pray this evening. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us, that you desire that relationship with us, and you've went to the utmost um, measures to be able to draw us to yourself. Even so much as to give your son as a sacrifice. And so, Father, as we are here on this earth, as we live with the truth of what Jesus has done for us, with the salvation that you have offered to us, I pray that as we are here on this earth, that we would read how you have spoken to us, the words that you've given to us, that we would hide those away in our heart, 
And that the difference that you've made in our lives and the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives would cause us to think differently, to speak differently, to act differently, to be as far uh, from looking like the world as we can be. I pray that you would uh, make us into the image of your Son. I pray that we would be little Christs all in the world. And that God, as you send us, that you would give us the message to share, the boldness to share it. And Father, I pray that we would do all of these things for your good and your glory. Father, I pray that uh, if this is something that we need to work on in our lives, that you, your Holy Spirit would just convict us in those areas. And that God, you would do a work in our lives in such a way that God, when we speak to people, we could be an encouragement. We could speak life to people. And God, we can share the truth about what you've done with lost people. And they could see you for who you are. Father, use us for your good, for your glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.